Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial and free audiobook at www.audible.com slash waste. W-A-S-T-E, waste. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing great, thanks. We had another great week. Yeah. We had an awesome podcast with Mano. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's probably one of the best conversations we've had, if he, not the best. He lived an incredible life. He's still living an incredible life, but his journey has just been something to behold. And uh, any way that you cut it, from where he came from to where he is today is just unbelievable. People should go back, check that out. Jeff, should we talk about what we did this week? Yeah, there was a lot that went on this week. We had a meeting on Tuesday. No, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, um, we have a deal coming up with uh no, a- no, no, no like we should talk about like what actually happened which is that last week we talked about leor.cohen on snapchat leor the best cohen follow that you can put on snapchat somebody actually hit me up and was like hey you should check out dr miami on snapchat who is dr miami it's like this uh plastic surgeon down in miami who will cut into people's asses and like show you the entire process yeah why 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 would you want to watch that why would you put yourself through that are you asking me yeah no, some guy told me this is like the new wave, and so I was like, no. okay. Well, li- clearly that person is wrong. Yeah, I mean, Lior, I watched it. Leor.cohen, and, and tell the people why they should check out Leor.cohen. Because his business is booming. He went down to Miami. He met with Khaled. He heard Khaled do that. How's business booming shtick? Yeah, with Ben. Stole ben, it. his 16-year-old friend. And has gone all around the world and asks people every time how their business is doing. Yeah, but I feel like now we've gone past peak... Lior Cohen, now we're into like a whole new thing with Lior it's Cohen. A, right, it's like his exploratory phase because he's now figuring out right, what this it means is like to him. his like um this is blue period. Yeah, it's it's like a diary now where he he wants to like tell people where he is and what he's doing. Right, he's working out. He is well, that's also a Khaled thing, but okay. Yeah. He's doing his own like treadmill time, right? <laughs> I feel like Lior or Khaled who gives more major keys. Oh my god. Listen, we need Lior on the podcast. That is uh, that that is what we're here to do. So if people can go and at 300, I believe it's at the number 300 yeah. on Twitter, hashtag a waste of time with Lior and at us at It's The Real and let's get Lior on this podcast. There's part of me that wants people to just hit up uh, at 300 and just go a waste of time with Lior and no explanation. No, no, no. Go in, use 140 characters. Let them know. Let them know that they, he needs to waste time with us here on this podcast. We've had a lot of people on this podcast. Uh, executives like Sycamore or artists like JoJo or Jadakiss or Currency, but really... We're just looking for that Leor.Cohen. Major key. Major key. If people want to find more It's The Real, where can they go? They can go on SoundCloud. Oh, whoa. Wow. Where- That's not SoundClub. Sound- SoundClub. SoundClub. Hello. Go find us on SoundClub. <laughs> um, you can find us on soundcloud.com slash a waste of time or on iTunes at a waste of time at it's the real um, you can find us on snapchat at it's it's the real and it's the real Eric Eric is the one that uses it's the real Eric please stop hitting me up and asking me if I'm Eric or hit Jeff up and say how's business oh yeah you want to know what people are selfish why because I'm always asking how people how how people's business is going and and nobody ever asked me how my business is going. That's not true. Lots of people have asked now that you've been begging for it. It's not be- ask you me make- how business is. No, please. You, you make it sound like I'm desperate. Please ask me how business I'm is. I'm just saying be considerate. I'll say booming. Anyway. I no. My business was booming, now it's fine. Our guest today on A Waste of Time with It's the Real is Boss. Boss, who is J. Cole's artist on Dreamville Records over at Interscope. Yes, yeah, so and we also have his brother who is J. Cole's manager, Ibrahim Hamad. He's a longtime friend of ours, a visionary, great guy, and we also have Laura, the Interscope publicist, who gave me a crazy look when I did one of my transitions in the podcast, which you will hear. Shouts to her. Boss's new project, Too High to Riot, is in stores right now on iTunes. Go get that. Jeff, when do you want to get into this podcast? Right after we figure out how to say Boss's name. Is it Boss or Boz? Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. The Math Tutor, a.k.a. You Don't Want No Problems. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Snort Dakota, a.k.a. Ounce Rushmore. Yo, it's Boss. I don't got any cool a.k.a.s like these two homies. <laughs> yeah, it's a waste of time with this for real. What up? 
chilling, man. How you feeling? Everything's good. Welcome to the Upper West Side. Man, thank you. Do you have any other reasons to come all the way up here? Um, not really. Not hanging out <laughs> like, like not really. You know what? There's a store around here though that's got a lot of soccer jerseys. I remember coming up. Okay. Sports oh. Authority. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't that one. I remember that. It was like a little, you know, more of a mom and pop. Sure. Oh, like a Models. Yeah, we got, <laughs> we got a Models like a couple blocks away. No, you know what's actually really interesting is that, you know, hip-hop, you know, the original the like A&R, yeah. and not the genre, the original A&R for Rockefeller. Right. He called us up and he was like, I just want to hang out. And he came over here on New Year's Eve and hung out for five and a half hours. Five and a half hours, a right? Light five and a half. And he was like, yo, my brother used to live like right around the corner. And we're like, well, that's amazing. And after after like the five and a half hours, he was like, I just want to go get something to eat. Is that cool? Like, where where, where would you recommend around here? And we're like, there's a spot like right around the corner called Malacone, which is this Dominican place, which is amazing, right? He's like, uh, I've been there. Have you not seen my Instagram? And he breaks out his phone and shows a picture of him and Jay and everyone from Rockefeller in 96 sitting at tables that we would sit at. And we're just like... Same restaurant? Same, same restaurant. restaurant. Oh, that's that's an accomplishment to be in the city 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, shout out to Malacone. Not yeah, to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We didn't do anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> forget us. Yeah. Forget hip-hop. But really, like Malacone to be open. It yeah, really, man. it is like the spot to go to, though. Yeah, that's dope. We yeah, might have to check that out. Yeah. So what's good, man? Just chilling, cooling. How was NBA All Star Weekend? It was dope. We did a did a bunch of shows. I did this show with Tory Lanes and went on a row with him for like four Canadian dates. Partied hard. Yeah. So had a good time. Going on tour with Tory Lanes, have you chosen sides between him no, and Drake? I'm neutral. I got too much love for the OVO fam and. <laughs> And uh, Tori's a good dude, too. You know, he showed us a lot of love and, and hospitality. So, you know, that's grown men business. I let them handle it. Now, you're originally from Queens. Yep. Well, not originally from Queens, but you... you. It bo- is nice that you said yup, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Where are you originally from, though? Uh, my family is from Sudan in East Africa. Right. I was born in Paris. I lived there for about five years. I lived in the Middle East for three years in Qatar. And I moved to Queens when I was eight. So, you know, Queens just feels like... Where I totally. came of age. How many languages do you speak fluently? Um, my Arabic is pretty damn good. My French is like great when I'm drunk. Okay. <laughs> uh, not so good when I'm sober. I think it's like a, you know, like my parents still speak Arabic to us all the time. So it's yeah. like something I'm constantly practicing. But Does that mean you only hang out with like French speaking people when you're drunk? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> or I'll run into them in the club, or you know, New York. You'll walk around and hear a conversation, and if I'm drunk enough, I'll be like, Yo, what's up? you know, I'll just jump in it. Um, but I got to get my confidence up before my French really like breaks out. Well, Jeff, you went to Paris. Yeah, um, my French I, is non-existent. Um, yeah. I would do this whole thing like every single conversation I would have with people, where I would do this whole preamble, and I'd be like, hey, like I'm from America, my French isn't good, and this is all in French, and they'd be like. If your French is like good enough to just just stop just 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 tell me what you want in English or just don't talk. To me. Yeah, that's you know you got lucky. They're usually not that accommodating. You know, even if they speak English, sometimes they'll just be like. I feel like everybody is like they they respect the effort. Yeah, like I was just like I just want a baguette. Like that, that's it, and it's like three minutes of me being like I'm so sorry. Like they're just like please please just, go just away. Stop. Yeah. yeah, you've been to Paris like pretty recently. Yeah, do I go you, all the time. I, I work with a lot of producers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you have to be drunk shows? the entire time while you were there? Just, to, just nah, to it's cool because out there, like all the homies are. That's the beauty of like hip hop culture. You know, they speak English and you know speak all the slang we speak, and then they can do the translating. The- Yo, when I was I went to a Ty Dolla Sign show in Paris, and some kid uh, screams out out of nowhere just goes no flex on motherfucker yeah and i was just like <laughs> what is this <laughs> i also like though that jeff rolled up to that to that concert and some dude hit you up and was like yo you're the connect yeah i didn't know anybody there by the way but they they were like hey can you get in five people and then the doorman was like oh you're american you must be important and so i did get five people in. yeah, that's, yeah. you Look should just you. get like a go to kinko's make like a fake laminate no one's gonna say nothing <laughs> Be all right. So when you went to high school, did you have to take a foreign language? Yeah, I took French. See? Uh, <laughs> smart man. I yeah. took French. Yeah. Did you How'd kill? You do? I actually did not kill because I was like thoroughly under challenged. 
Oh, so okay. I would not do any of my assignments, which which drove my teacher crazy. But then I would just, you know, like ace my test. <laughs> did it drive your parents crazy? It did come like parent-teacher conference. They'd be like, how the hell are you yeah. fucking up in French? <laughs> now, how about this? I took French in high school, right? Huge mistake. I was terrible at it. I really, I only did it because there were girls in that class. And I was like, this is going to be great. Terrible choice. Didn't like, didn't make any sense for me whatsoever and didn't accomplish anything. But my parents gave me such a hard time that I didn't do well in French. Come to like learn later on my parents did shitty in french <laughs> yeah our parents weren't french either no, and so like yeah. yeah you had no reason <laughs> like terrible gave me the hardest time for that yeah my so, dad has a phd in french literature so oh he, my god he oh. wasn't having it you were just yeah in yeah, the yeah. doghouse like yeah, was... so okay so you come over here at eight right how is it getting into school and making like new friends all of a sudden because i assume like you weren't speaking english no, overseas no i wasn't or um, were you about that no new friends life already at eight? Early. I kind of started yeah, that movement, <laughs> you know, in my youth. I started that movement. Um, but, nah, it was – it was learning English was pretty easy, honestly. It took me, like, three months. They had me in this one extra class that mm-hmm. I would have to go to. It was, mm-hmm. like – was it, like, EPL or – ESL. ESL. ESL, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was in ESL, and uh, I made, like, my first friend. Oh, we bonded over wrestling, which okay. is – you know, as eight-year-olds, it's like universal. You don't got to speak the language. It's just like trying to get power bombed. Like, yeah. um, but you know, my parents were always cool with just letting us like assimilate mm-hmm. into wherever we were. And what part of Queens were you living in? In uh, Fresh Meadows, which is like in Jamaica. Wait, so back to the wrestling thing. Like, we don't know anything about wrestling. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if you were here to talk about wrestling. Well, <laughs> I don't know anything about like current wrestling. So, like, you stopped uh, watching wrestling at a certain point. Yeah, yeah. As soon as it got like, as soon as you made that you friend, know. you were like, "All right, now I'm I'm good." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I don't got to keep up this facade anymore. <laughs> what other things were like really important to a young kid just learning? Yeah, trying to cross over. Yeah. Um, New York City parks. You know, do you grow up in New York? You grow up at the park at your local park. Sure. Um, so that's where I made a lot of friends. That's where, like, you know, you peep certain, like, cultural things. But you're like, oh, that's kind of how they do things over here. Well, here's the most important right, question. Cool. Did you become a Mets fan? No. See, so I got wow. here. This is what happened. I got here, like, Jeter's rookie year, and I knew nothing I had knew nothing about baseball. I didn't care about baseball. I started really liking baseball as, like, an eight-year-old, and the Yankees pulled off, like, five chips in a row. Like, Damn. So, you know, it was just like – Running with the winners. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but hey, I was eight, so I was young and running. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's not like a front runner when you're eight. You're just like, hey, this Although is my if team. I remember correctly, like those were really great years for the Mets, right? <laughs> you have a great memory. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, we we um we stopped by Rock Nation on like last week and we told Lenny that we were Mets fans, like growing up. Because our brother used to work for the Yankees and we're like, Listen, we grew up Mets fans, so it's kinda hard for us for our brother to be like a Yankees employee. Right. And Lenny was like He's like, man, I feel sorry for you guys. He's like, but at least you had, like, Daryl Strawberry, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, and at least Daryl Strawberry's daughter, you know, made it to TV. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> she did. <laughs> what, like, she's on, like, Love and Hip Hop or something? One of those shows. It was, like, dope. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so, that was a legend in his own right. You're saying that, like, for his Yankee years, right? You know, for, for everything. <laughs> Dude, this is a rock star. <laughs> so you grow up in Queens. Are you moving around the city? Are you exploring, like, other boroughs? Yeah, well, you know, first it was, like, bike riding around Queens was, was big for us early. Mm-hmm. And then when we started, you know, around junior high school and we got heavy into, like, sneaker culture, it would start bringing us into Manhattan, you know, to check out all the boutiques and the spots that had, like, exclusive sneakers. So that's kind of how we started uh, exploring you, the city. Did bit. you ever sit outside waiting for shoes? I did. Really? Oh, my God, no. What was the longest time period? Like, overnight? No, never like that. Weeks. Never like that. <laughs> like, the store might open at, like, 11. I might be there, like, 9, 8.30. Really? I might spend a cool two, two and a half hours. That's not what? that bad. No, I mean, like, because, you know, you'll see kids, like, in chairs for oh, that's true. days. And yeah, it's I'm not, like, I wasn't know. doing none of that. Those, those kids are paid, though, like, to wait out there now? Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, someone pays them to just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole come up. I don't yeah. know if you still want to keep rapping. Like there's <laughs> yeah. a That's a that's a good alternative. Hate to sure. sit there. So what what shoes, what models were you waiting for? There were like some S B dunks. I used to go to like Dave's quality meets, which broke my heart that it's closed now. I just yeah. noticed mm-hmm. like recently I'm in and out of the city so much now that 
you know, you know, Manhattan, like rent is too damn high. Mm-hmm. So well, also you're out of town. And so you're not waiting, you know, you're the one that <laughs> right. was keeping them in business. <laughs> right. Exactly. So when I, you I know, don't know if you want to, I mean, that's once I left that to line, take, like all the guilt on. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, if, if they're listening, like I'm back, <laughs> just let me know when the next sneakers drop and I'll be there. So SBs were your shoe of choice. Yeah. They probably still are. Not were me. you skating? No, not even. Um, I just like how comfortable they are. And I like the the style of them, um, but usually they got like you know like fat tongues and like mm-hmm. they're just very comfortable shoes. Well, Would you wear Crocs? <laughs> no. Okay. Maybe like in like Central America where no one I know would ever see me. <laughs> when you just want to be really comfortable. Yeah. When yeah. you want to be really comfortable, but like you know, I would keep an eye out for sure. anybody. You know who loves Crocs? Chefs. Uh, sure. I, I mean, bet that Action Bronson has Crocs. I probably. Yeah. A lot of rappers wear certain models like on stage now because of the comfort and, you know, you're it's like sort of athletics where it's just you want to be comfortable, you also want to be like right. you know, not hurt yourself. Right. What are you really rock- rocking on stage right now? Um and do you do it for the comfort or the style? Both. Okay. I rock, you know, a lot, lot of dunks, a lot of SB dunks. Mm-hmm. What's your back now, by the way? Like yeah, they're, yeah, they they're like left. super back in style. Did they leave? I don't know. See, this they're part of like my youth, and they're like I'm like still running with them. You know, um, well, you've always been there. I feel like there's a lot of people who are just like bringing them back now. Yeah. A friend of ours was moving to San Francisco for like six months to work on the Apple Watch project. Oh, cool. And we, so Phil Chang, our friend, was like, "Hey, I, I have all these shoes at home, and I want to sell them on eBay, but I don't want to put the time and effort in. Do you guys want to?" And he's like, "I'll give you like forty percent or something like that." And we're like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we will do that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. And so we we took a we took a zip van over there and packed the whole thing with like Yeah. There were like hundreds of like shoes and garbage bags and we just dropped them off over here. Lived with a bunch of like it was an unlivable apartment. It's not <laughs> like it's a Manhattan mansion as you can see. <laughs> and yeah, we had to like put them all on eBay, catalog them and the whole thing. Right. And SBs really like they went they went for high numbers and people were really feeling them. So that's why I feel like I can say that they're back. I can say yeah. the same thing that like they never left, and that's why <laughs> we still have you know, some here. That's why we waited on lines for them. So you're good at French. What else are you good at in school? Like, what else are are do you excel in? Um, I I was like, like a chronic underachiever. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> um, I think mainly because I remember coming to America, and in like the second grade, we we're doing like long division and like script and shit like that in France and like I got here we didn't do long division till the fifth grade and then it clicked like oh <laughs> something's <laughs> fucked up here <laughs> I don't have to really try as hard but uh, I think like my junior year of high school I had a really good chemistry teacher he was like the first teacher that treated me like an adult like he'd be like hey shithead what's the answer <laughs> and I'd be like that's how, oh. wait 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 that's how that's how adults are treated <laughs> Straight up. Like, he'd be in class, and, you know, I might be talking to someone, and he'd be like, hey, you know the answer, shithead? And I'd be like, like, fuck you. You know, we just had that relationship where we would, like, talk shit. And mm-hmm. it, like, it, it, like, it was a connection I had with him that really um, made me excel in his class. So um, I ended up doing really well in chemistry, and he was like, yo, you know, you should uh, apply to go to school for pharmacy, which was, like, not something I wanted to do, but I did anyway. Uh, so he was a getting, great chemistry teacher, but a terrible college, like, sort of preparatory teacher. Nah, he he wasn't. Um, I just, like, I probably failed him in that regard. I yeah. could have done what he, like, envisioned for me. Um, but I got to school, and I was like, man, I don't want to do this shit. <laughs> Are you still in touch with that teacher today? No. In uh, no way, like, whatsoever. He hasn't reached out and been like, I remember you. And I, haven't, I haven't gone back to my high school. In a, in a, well, I went for, like, actually a basketball game, like, two weeks ago. Um but I didn't see him there. He wasn't really at, like, the sporting events, mm-hmm. you know? But Mr. Kiafa, that was his name. So if he bumps your podcast, you know, <laughs> holla at me, dog. We out here. I mean, there's a lot of chemistry talk on here. So, like, That's I'm right. sure that he's, right. yeah. <laughs> Eric and I have terrible chemistry. Um, wait, so when do you, at what point do you start rapping? Man, I start rapping until I was, like, 23, probably like five years ago. So then in high school, you're taking the SATs then. You're right. thinking about college. Right. You're Moving in that direction, what's the long-term goal? To be a there, pharmacist. There was none. Right, exactly. <laughs> that was probably the, the issue. How you how are you really supposed to know what you want to do when you're like 17, 18? That's you really don't fair. know shit. Um, so all it takes is like a little bit of guidance in one direction for you to be like, yeah, sure, I'll try that. And then like, you know, you get there and you're like, this is completely not compatible with who I am um, and my personality. If Like if I went back now, I'd probably do like 
marketing or advertising or something I could use like my social and like cultural knowledge because that stuff inspires me more than you know fucking elements and shit <laughs> right <laughs> so what was it after graduating high school I went I went to Hampton University because right. they gave me a full scholarship for for pharmacy okay gotcha um I didn't attend like no classes my first semester like I mean, like, I failed freshman orientation. That yeah. one class you go to, like, once a week mm-hmm. where they're just like, how are you adjusting to college? Like, <laughs> like I even failed that one. Um, um, how was your roommate? I didn't have a roommate. I had, like, a, I had, that's you probably why I failed. I had, yep. I, wow. had, I had this apartment Balling off campus. Out, right? <laughs> just wilding. Uh, that really was, like, the trap house. Like, it was where everyone would come just get crazy and, you know, get drunk and party, you know. I was like Speak the only French. freshman. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I was like the only <laughs> so freshman with a crib. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's cool because a lot of those connections down there, like guys are still around with me that are part of my management, um, that like are not are now part of like my creative collective, the fiends. Um, hold up, wait. If it was like the trap house, your crew is the fiends. Yes. <laughs> We're the users. We're not and you, really. And you were practicing pharmacy. Okay, yeah, now yeah, it all yeah, 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 yeah. now it all makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, so you're down. So you're down there, and your first semester, you're just you don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck. You're being a real shithead. When do your yes. when do your yes. parents <laughs> yes. when do your parents come to visit? My dad came to like move me in. Right. He didn't really come back, and then after my like I knew like towards the end of my first semester, I was like right, I'm not going back to Virginia. Yeah. Um. It just wasn't really, like, for me. Um, so I knew that. I was like, I'm going back to the city. And then it just so happened. And, like, my dad was retiring and, like, trying to go back to Africa with my mom, um, which, you know, that that attempt failed after a year and a half because he realized, like, he missed walking to Dunkin' Donuts every day. And you can't <laughs> do that in Africa. Uh, but like, I kind of, like, come back. I came back and, like, sneak dropped out of school while my parents were in Africa. Well. Sneak dropped out of school, so they had zero idea. No, they didn't really know. But as what f- a fun surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, as far as they were concerned, you were still going to class every day. Right. Were they still paying for it? No. Nah, well, oh, I was, I was right. Yeah, right, right. But you're living up here then? Yep. I'm back. I'm back, back in Queens? Back in Queens. Um, and what are you doing on a daily basis? Just running amok, having <laughs> a house, you know, having my parents' house with this guy. Yeah. And, Wait, one wait. of our older brothers, so it's just three, you know. It was like a frat house. He was going to St. John's Trap at house the is a frat house. This is like, you just, yeah. you're winning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we had some crazy times. Um, we had some really crazy times in that house, just throwing a bunch of house parties. Are the neighbors hating you? Or? I'm sure. Oh, um, what? Are they invited over and they yeah. love you? Yeah. I'm sure. You know, that's the thing about New York. Like, there's like, there's no real neighbor culture here, you know? <laughs> like, it's not like a lot of places you go where, like, your neighbors be like, hey, like, you know, you're... Your trash can rolled over to you know what I mean? Like no nobody uh, says shit to I've anybody. Seen friends. In New York. <laughs> Everybody knows each other. Everybody's friends. Yeah, I don't know. Queens isn't like that. Nobody really you know, people weren't we didn't really communicate much with our neighbors. So yeah. you know, good or bad, you don't have that comfort level to come over and be like, I got an issue with this because like, I don't fucking talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, like I, I'm with you on that because so we've lived here in this apartment for eight years and I can't tell you. Well, the one interaction you had was with our guy down the hall who was clipping his toenails in the in the stairway which and is, you flipped out on him. Nasty. Whoa. Yeah. Like, who does that? Yeah. That's just like. No, he yes. goes, I got kids. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> like you're afraid you're going to like. Like clip one off and it's gonna fly into your kid's eye or something. I just don't understand. Right. Very yeah, that's like, nasty. Yeah, it was crazy. But no. Also, the FBI came over here one time. Right. Knocked on the door, slid their their like business card underneath, and so we called them back and they came up here and they were like, "Have you heard of this person?" And we're like, "I don't know if that's a guy or a girl. Like, I don't couldn't tell you." And they were like, "Well, they disappeared." Yeah, they've been living like in, in the apartment above excuse me yeah in the apartment above you and they've been missing for like five months have you heard any weird noises we're like actually when it was renovated they put an extra like layer of concrete so no we don't hear anything it's great they don't complain about the music but sorry about and the we person don't complain about the people who you know <laughs> whoa fbi came and yeah, for that? yeah yeah not even like nypd just no fbi no. yeah it was she, pretty wild she must be important well or was important maybe yeah. right but no like we don't even like consider our neighbors at all like we play our music loud and no one ever says anything so right i hear you so you're living you're living at home having a great time great time when do your parents move back and find out that you're living at home and not yeah. down how much in- is, like a disney movie is this oh <laughs> um, about like a year and a half later a year and a half later they move back and 
Did yeah. you have to rush to clean up the place? <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a mess. Like boxes of, of like old dominoes and oh man, just like beer and booze all over the place. Broken windows from some some house parties we threw. Like we really wrecked the house. This really was like a frat party. <laughs> yeah, it was just ongoing for like two years. It was like one long party. So wait, wait. Now years later, when you're hanging out with, with your parents, you're just like, you know what? It was kind of funny, right? And they're just like. No, it's still not funny. Like this <laughs> yeah. is yeah. No, uh, I think when we did the What Dreams May Come tour with Cole, which mm-hmm. was like uh fall twenty thirteen or so, and then like uh January twenty eighth, which was his birthday when we announced like our whole Interscope deal mm-hmm. in, in twenty fourteen, we did a show at the Garden Theater and um I like opened that show up and my dad that was like the first show my pops ever came to. Mm. And um afterwards he was like, Man, he's like I'm glad you ain't listening to me when like I wanted you in school and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad you you know you had the, you had the the heart to just go for it. And he even like he told Derek, who's my manager and like a friend of mine since high school, um, told him the same thing. So you know well, we crossed that threshold. It only took Madison Square Garden, but that's it. That's uh, you it. know it broke. Well, before we get to that though, what kind of work are you doing in between? Like you taking jobs? Um, just doing like a bunch of illegal shit. You know, selling everything I can get my hands on, SBs, stolen electronics, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking <laughs> whatever you need. Uh, that's the thing about New York. Like, if you just know people, there's your market. You know, totally. Like, that's the beauty of New York. Like, you could really, and then and then you're also like kind of brought up to just always kind of chase a dollar. It's it's a bit of like tunnel vision. It's not healthy at all. But you know, when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and you just chasing SBs and yeah. and girls, like you're not thinking about your future you're like all right where, you know where's my next dollar so i operated like that for a cool three years three years four years yeah oh my god now okay when does rapping come into your every day around uh 2010 and like what was the impetus i was i got into a bunch of shit so i got out of i'm like let me you know try to like realize my potential somewhere like i'm getting older now i'm not a kid i'm like trying to figure out um, you know, have some direction in life because I had just had no direction. And uh, my older brother, DJ Moma, who does a lot of parties in the city, like uh, Everyday People's, like his big party, him mm-hmm. and him and Roble throw that, Chef Roble. Yep. Shout out to all of them, Sada. Um, they got a really cool movement in the city, but he was, he's been DJing, you know, I used to carry his crates, like pre Serato. Did you really? Yeah, he's 10 years older than me. I was like 16. He gave me his like learner's permit and was like, this is how you're going to get into clubs <laughs> and carry my crates. Man. So me and Eve used to just carry his crates um, into all these random gigs. So more than building up character, it built up muscle too. Yes, and it like introduced me to all the women and I could lie to them about my age. So that like, was Let me fun. see your ID and it was not yours. No. <laughs> It was never mine, but I, you know, I've always had facial hair, so I just used that to my advantage. By the way, just for the record, Jeff's ID right now is still the same picture that he's had since he was 16 years old. Like, never went back to update it; just did it by mail or whatever. So, like, <laughs> so whenever, so whenever we fly somewhere, I take my like license, and Jeff has to take his like passport. passport. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like it's still pass. I mean, because I, I still look it like I haven't gone through ten. puberty. Yeah, but every single time I go into like a uh, a bar, they're always just like, "What the fuck happened to you?" <laughs> no way you yeah, yeah no, look at that. I, I look like a child. It's crazy. See, I am a I child. still have my learner's permit <laughs> picture, but like I don't look that much different than well, I do now. I don't think. Wait, did you ever get your license? Yeah, but you know they just upgraded the picture from your from my permit. You fly so much right now. I feel like regularly. Right. Do you have the pre-check? I. You know what? I I need to get it, but like. My name's Abbas Hamad, so I don't know if they're going to let me fly with all gotcha, that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. You know? Yeah, I don't know if you heard, but America's sort of racist. Oh, that yeah. whole part. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask this, too, by the way. So, Donald Trump is like, who knows? Psychopath. Well, that that we know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying who knows if like he may be the Republican candidate. Like, yeah, it's, it's looking, looking like more, it. like, more, yeah. more and more yeah. likely. He's somebody who has said that he's just like a blanket statement, like basically – Build a wall, keep immigrants out. This whole thing. You're you're a first generation, basically. I mean, you you I are think an like my yourself. kids will be, yeah, right, yeah. How do you feel when when this this psychopath gets on the TV and you know all these Republicans support it? Yeah, I was about to say it's, it's less about him, but it's like it's it's a 
uh, like a worrisome way to check the temperature of the country as a whole, you know, when that many people um, support those ideas, then, you know, like, well, there's a serious disconnect because we spend our time in, in New York and L.A. And I always tell like people that visit from overseas, like New York and L.A., like this is not America, like don't get it fucked up, you know? Yeah. Uh, America's Georgia, Florida, you know, Texas, the Midwest, like. So, you know, like, I'm not worried about the people here and, and the people in L.A., but, like, there's people I don't come into contact with as often and probably not enough, uh, you know, Muslims or immigrants. They probably don't, you know, if you're that hateful of something, it's usually through ignorance. It's not like they deal with, you know what I mean? If they had a, a corner store where, you know, some dude from Yemen was, taking their order every day and you know making their egg and cheese sandwich they probably wouldn't hate right as hard you know but they right. don't come across those people they get their information you know from very like contrived outlets with serious agendas and you know that's that's how you get a a trump which is why the internet can have those dangerous corners and and really or even mainstream media oh sure yeah, yeah. mainstream media more than more than anything because the internet is like Everybody hates on the internet. Like, it's like fun. You know what I mean? Like everybody hates on the internet. It's just fun to read. Um, but mainstream media, it's like, you know, you're talking about billions of dollars to get people to think a certain way. Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, begs a few questions like why, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And um, how. And how, yeah, yeah right. Um, Speaking of billion dollars, you know, making you think a certain way, how is Interscope treating you? <laughs> Great. It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> Great. Well, okay, so... Well, let's just go like in in order here. So you start you start rapping, right? Do you put out what's your first project you put out? Quarter Water Raise Me Volume One, which um, was literally like a year to the day that I wrote my first rap. We and put that out. Who are you working with? People you meet online or people you know? Personally? I took some. I ripped some. I ripped a bunch of beats offline, whether it's like YouTube or you know songs that were out instrumentals. Like I was really it was very raw and like amateur i hate listening to it now but i learned a great deal from it and yeah. so did like my camp as far as just putting a project out like oh okay you need certain things to support it content you need you know your social media channels to be uniform you need like you know a bunch of things that you don't learn without doing it um so that did a lot for me just putting that project out and what was your expectation with that project are you like this is going to lead to me being signed, to me touring, to me like having this as a profession. No, I didn't really have all those thoughts at that time. It was just like I found a creative outlet. I stumbled on a creative outlet and f like for the first time in my life I had something that like I was you know really passionate about every day like waking up writing, just knowing like man, I love writing, I love making music. Um I didn't know until I was 23, you know, but then you spend every day doing it and you're just like, "Well, I want to tell a story i want to put a project together i want to do like what my favorites did so at the time Derek was working in advertising and he was just spending his paychecks putting me in the studio what was the studio grand staff studios in, in brooklyn shout out to my man k quick that's like still my guy still a huge part of my sound whether it's engineering production um vocal singing he's on lit and he also co-produced night job so he was like the first missing part of the whole thing was like a, a engineer in the studio. And he worked with us like really, really, really early. Um, so shout out to him. He went to NYU with Derek. So that's how that connection happened. Um, so, you know, we were working out of his studio in Williamsburg. We put that whole thing together there. I mean, like a lot of people don't understand the importance of a, an engineer, I feel like, especially like in this Internet age. So right. I mean, like, what does an, en an engineer do for you? Uh, he's just the gatekeeper of your sound. You know, he's... Uh, He's going to make sure, like, those wrinkles that, you know, give give your shit character are consistent and helps you kind of build that progression as far as something the fans can follow. And, and then he's also good at, like, you know, a good engineer is, is also kind of going to vocal produce you in a sense. You know, like, do a take, be like, yo, you might not know <laughs> off rip. And, he, you know, he might be like, all right, do it a little lower or, or let's let, let's double that one part, things of that nature. Um you know, it's very crucial to your sound. You, you hear a lot of shit that's clearly like engineering wasn't given a thought. Right. Or vocal production wasn't given a thought. And, you know, those things are what keep a song from like really cutting through to people. Right. You know, if you really want to cut through 
those things have to go right. Those moments have to like be engineered the right way. So um, yeah, I was reading about like Young Thug and like his relationship with his engineer, who he's had for I think now like three years or whatever, right. and how like he credits him for a lot of his more recent success because it's just like you know he needs somebody who can keep up with him. Right. Um, I feel like a lot of people cannot keep up with Young Thug. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. So. We just wanted to take a second to interrupt this podcast to tell you about our friends over at Audible.com, the internet's home to more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Yeah, that's everything that includes mysteries and thrillers and historical fiction, cartoons, and, I don't know. And even, even our good friend Dan Charnis' amazing book on hip-hop, The Big Payback. I mean, it starts at the very beginning and goes through all the commercialization of... Most importantly, there's a lot of good Lior stories... There's a lot of good puffy stories. There's a lot of good everything. You know, it, it is the hip-hop Bible that you should read if you are a hip-hop fan in 2016. That's right. And interestingly enough, it is the inspiration for the VH1 show, The Breaks, which you may have seen starring Mac Wilds and Trey, who we had on the podcast. Really fantastic show. Did great numbers for VH1. Tells a fictionalized version. This is the real history of hip-hop. And you can go find that book on audible.com yes if you want to go to audible.com slash waste right now you can get a free 30-day trial and free audiobook today today www.audible.com slash w-a-s-t-e and you know tell someone at the checkout line that eric and jeff sent you from it's the real now let's get back to this podcast with boss what at what point what project is the one where you're just like I see this sort of tide turning. I know that I'm getting better as a as a rapper. Yeah. Um, your ideas are more fully fleshed, and you're starting to see more of an audience reaction. Um, so I would say two years after that first tape, I spent those two years. That was when, um, like, Cole kind of started taking more of an interest, so he would bring me out on the road just, like, purely to develop um, as a songwriter. Like, I wasn't performing. I was just out working with Ron Gilmore, who's Cole's uh, MD and keyboard player. And at the time, um, the first tour I came out on was like Sideline Story Tour for Europe. And Ron was like transitioning from just being a keyboard player to like being a producer. And obviously he had played on tons of like Cole records, but I don't think he was really like producing. Like, so, and I was, I was like coming into my own as just rapping more. And said Cedric Brown, who was Cole's stage manager, he was getting back into production for like the first time in like six years or something. So it was like perfect timing for all of us to click up because those guys, you know, obviously I've been working with them since. And Ron is an executive producer on, on this album as well as my last one. He produced like six songs on this album. He plays on pretty much everything on like, you know, post-production. So those two years were crucial. And then I was going out on the road and, and seeing guys like, Cole and uh, and Drake and all these guys perform and that has just a, a whole nother impact on your songwriting you know just understanding uh the dynamics of a live show better and understanding the the parts of a song that really garner like a crowd reaction and how to manipulate those moments and then writing them into your songs so I spent like a cool two years just on tour buses with with Cole and with the band and like in retrospect that was like crucial like integral to my development as a songwriter and you're recording um, on the bus or yeah in, we're recording on a bus in like, the hotels and anywhere you know we used to call it bathrobe studios because we <laughs> recorded in so many hotels like <laughs> in between two bathrobes with a mic um you know it was anywhere we were at it was just constantly it was a lot of output you know bunch of songs that'll never see the light of day but it's like you know with every song just the parameters are getting wider to me it, as a songwriter and who is the person who at that point has final say over what's good and can be put out and what doesn't Uh like was that you was that cole was that a group effort where people are just like no you can do better yeah well i mean the the very first time cole ever spoke to me about my shit was like yo this is dope like you you know you got like your own style i can't wait to see where you're gonna be in a year and a half in two years like as you develop more which was, like, kind of prophetic because that's how it ended up happening. There was no one ever, like, you know, that controlling of what we were doing. I think everyone was aware that I was, like, figuring it out and giving me that creative freedom. But um, 
yeah, two years after that, I did volume two of Quarter Water Raised Me. And that was, like, the first time we had, like, outside, like, really reputable people we respect taking an interest in me. So that, you know, that turns a corner for me and, like, for everyone involved because you never really know, like, when you're dealing with your homies. Sure. Like, are we biased? Like, do we just fuck with boss's shit because we love boss? Or, right. like, is boss actually good, you know? But did when, you ever like, come with an answer for that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't have to, you know. Uh when like when legends, you know, like Salam Remy and No ID and, mm. and people of that stature are telling Cole and the team that I'm dope and like that they're interested in working with me, um, it changes the dynamic. Sure. It gives everyone like an extra boost of of confidence and, and belief and we you know, we rode that wave. So in this time Cole hasn't set up his label situation yet. What's your what's your thinking and what's your team's thinking in terms of like you know, well, cold, we had, we had in. right. We had lit, which you know ended up being everything um, because that's a song me and said did. Cole was working on Born Center at KMA Studios, and um, it was like the one night probably ever that he left the studio early because he had something to do. And me and said are like, oh shit, like we got the A room, like it's KMA, <laughs> like we can't, we got to use this. Um, so we ended up doing lit that night, and then. I was doing a little listening session for my album at at Elite's crib in Brooklyn. Elite, who's also, you know, mm-hmm. Crooked Smile, a bunch of Cole records, produced on Revenge of the Dreamers. He had a studio in Brooklyn, so I was over there playing everyone the album. Cole came through, and he heard Lit, and he was like, yo, I, I want to get on this record. And we did it then, like, in, like, 45 minutes right yeah. there at Elite's crib. And that was, like, instrumental because that was the first record I started performing on the road. You know, that summer, like, I dropped my tape. We dropped a video for Lit. For our fan base, it was like, a, you know, like a little underground smash, you know? Yeah. Um, so when, when Cole put his album out, he did the first dollar in the dream. I think it was like 15, 18 dates. A dollar to get into the show. And that was the first time I started performing because he would bring me out to do lit every night. And then from that, it was what Dreams May Come was like that the fall right after that summer. I got on as a as an opener, you know, like 10 minutes real early in like uh, – Theaters, four or five thousand seaters, things of that nature. How much? How many songs you performing in those ten minutes? Maybe three to four. Because mm-hmm. um, I would do lit on Cole's set, right? But it was cool. Love Souvenir like bailed me out that so I had this record called <laughs> Love Souvenir, and it was, it was everything because it was the one moment where you know obviously, it, like I, it's like you know it's like a comedian like working on his routine like you're you're playing to a crowd that's not there to see you, don't know who the fuck you are, they're like just getting in their seats. You know what I mean? And you just got to know. And you got to win them over. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to win them over. So I learned a lot of, on that tour about maybe not. I mean, obviously a lot from a, the standpoint of being comfortable performing and the confidence that comes with, you know, doing that repeatedly. But also uh, just being personable on stage because that's what's going to cut across to people who don't know your music, don't really care about your music yet. It could be like one moment of magic where you just, you know, make them laugh or make them smile. And they're like, man, I, you know, I kind of like this guy. I'm going to check for his stuff or whatever the case may be. Totally. Me, I would have, in a room full of J. Cole fans, I would have just performed J. Cole songs. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that might have been the wave. Yeah. I should have just done that. <laughs> should have done that. At what point do you feel like, okay, I'm ready to put out a project that's really going to make me be able to tour on my own? Well, yeah, the whole time... We're doing that. I'm working on a project. Obviously, I'm working on a bus with all the same guys. Um, this is, you know, two and a half years into us working together, so I'm putting together better and better work. They're putting together better and better work. At the time, obviously, we you know, we knew we wanted a, a Dreamville situation, and I was just on road knowing that when I get off this tour, which went from, like, September all the way through, like, early January, February, which is when we ended up announcing the, the whole Interscope deal. Um, I was working on last winter. Well, real, real quick before we get there, Cole's working on his Interscope Dreamville situation. Right. But are there any other labels that come to you in the meantime being like, hey, you know, we'd like to have you with us. You can still, you know, have the Dreamville yeah. thing on the back Turn of Turn your back on your brother. No, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you know, it was, it was like initially, initially it was, like I said, it was like a... Probably like a few months before Cole put his album out, he he went out to play his album for Salam Remy, 
And then I remember him coming back and telling me, like, yo, you know, I played on my album. Then I, you know, what I had is there. I'm like, yo, I'm fucking with this kid from Queens. Check out a couple songs. And he was like, yo, like, Salam wants to do a deal with you. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, like I said, it was like er- too early to do the Dreamville thing. And honestly, I probably wasn't even ready on my end. You know, like, I'm, I'm you know, I was still really developing. And then um, we flew to L.A. to play No ID Cole's album. And then played him a couple of my records and it was like the same thing like yo like what's up like let's do something but again this is before born center so there was no temptation on you to go with no id to def jam or to go with salam remy in the sony building it was just sort of nah sony's got a nice new building (laughs) i mean i was broke but everything i needed was taken care of i'm on the road with my niggas i'm eating every day i'm sleeping comfortably i'm on a tour bus, I'm like having the time of my life. So you, you know, know how many- money's the only thing that can make you impatient, but it wasn't making me impatient. Good for you. That Look- sounds like a bar. <laughs> you right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like <laughs> um then then okay, so so Cole gets the the Interscope thing. How does that come to be by the way? Like I, I think after Born Center, I mean Eve would know better. I wasn't part of all these conversations, but I know when we're in Europe, you know, and and after the success of Born Center and, and that tour, you know, now you're not, you know what I mean? Now you have more to stand behind. Yeah. So I think the conversation opened up with a few labels. Um, I just remember I think we were in like on the tour bus in like Germany. I remember Cole walking in and being like, "It's going to be Interscope." I was right. Let's do it. We're just going to pass the mic over to Eve just because he's here. So this is your own fault for showing up. But um, and we've known Eve for a long, long time and respect everything. We also know Joey Ae for a long time and totally respect everything he's, you know, he's seen in terms of like all the stuff he did at Asylum. And then when he got to Warner seeing the Maybach music thing, he saw Dreamville from the jump. Why did you guys link up with Interscope? Uh, he reached out to Cole pretty early. He was one of he was. For sure, the first person to reach out. And I remember him just kind of letting Cole know, like, yo, I want you to... You know, Interscope was changing, too. Like, Jimmy was, you know, stepping down, and they had just bought Jan, John Janigan, and um, and they just bought Joey. So it was like a new Interscope wave going in, and I think he knew he can grab a key player with Cole. And he kind of came in early and was just kind of... He met with Cole first, and then Cole was like, well, you know, let's meet up with E. And... um his his monster was look. Not only is Cole a rapper and he could, you know he has a great ear, but he's also a producer. So it's like to have somebody like that on the team. I remember him telling Cole like, "Yeah, I want you to be like like Dre was basically to Jimmy when when they had the Interscope going on." So so that happened, and then you know that was our first person that reached out. But then <laughs> we also had Atlanta come and reach out, and then it just came to making that decision. And to us, it wasn't really about the money. It was about the comfort level with Joey. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he treated us like like family. And we knew going in that Joey would allow us to build it the way we want to build it. Because we, we kind of felt like an indie label that's in a major. You know, like, we we don't chase singles. Like, we, we more want to build artists to have a long career. So our, our message was always like, look, this is going to take longer with our artists than it would with another label and it's going to take, you know, spending money and spending time. But the end result is more like we, we want to get it to where Cole is at, where it takes a while. But when you get there, you know you have a 10-year, 15-year career ahead of you. Do you think that John Janik, who started Fueled by Ramen and— I think, I think that that helps. Understood, you know, yeah. Because he understands that world. And, and we have a great relationship with Janik. And he, everybody in that building is super supportive. And, you know, that's really all you can ask for. Especially when you're like, look— Spend money now, but in five years it's a payoff. Like some people might be like, "Nah, fuck that." Like, <laughs> where's the single? Like, yeah. where's the hits? We need, but they're super supportive, and I think that was, you know, Boss was like the first thing we were bringing in, and, and thankfully they wanted Boss too, so it wasn't like we had to be like, "Hey guys, please." It right. Was like, Here's my brother. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Was, and for a while, I would never say that was my brother because I didn't want people to think he was signed because of that. Because mm-hmm. that wouldn't be fair to him. Right. You know what I mean? So. So people was just like, obviously the fans get it. The fans figure everything out. But um, I mean, they're fiends. <laughs> that's, well, that's And that's the most important thing, by the way, is that you, much like Cole, developed your, your whole crew. Right. And how does the fiends come to be, and how did you name the fiends, and how did you go about 
Yeah, Grown well, it. it was um. So, like I told you, Derek, who went to NYU, yep. when I dropped out of school and I started, I came back and I started DJing. I, he was managing their basketball team, so I was DJing a lot of their parties, a lot of NYU parties, and then I was Wait, bringing the violence. The, the I'm sorry, violets parties. Yeah, NYU right. violence. Yeah, yeah. NYU yeah. violence at their right. basketball team. Now. By the way, yeah. the NYU violence yeah. would be like more like violence like, would be dope. Be dope right? Yeah, that would be real dope. <laughs> Um, How could you beat the violence? Like, I you don't know. know. <laughs> How about money and violets? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That should be a, that'd <laughs> that be a be good like, YouTube yeah. spoof. Let's get Lenny S on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so sorry. Back to uh, violence. Oh, are you really yeah. DJing? Like, yeah. No, I'm crazy. DJing. So you, you didn't just carry crates. You learned how right, to. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, started, um, I started DJing. My brother gave me his, his like, old MacBook when he bought a new one and was like, yo, just start opening gigs for me. Um, That's dope. Yeah, so I like you know I, I used to go to his crib and like practice, 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 and he's like he's an incredible DJ. Um, so he taught me a lot of cool shit, and then you know I was just opening his gigs, and then from there, I had you know like my NYU friends, and then I also had um, all my Queens homies, you know. So we it was like this really cool mix of, you know, it was like almost like a little culture clash in a sense. You got like kids from Southside and Left Frag and. You know, uh, Upper West Side, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you got kids from like the East Village and and Les or whatnot. Um, what was your DJ name? It's just Boss. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm a, not too creative with names. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to call myself. Um, so where does Fiends come from then? Yeah, so it's kind of the collective that grew from from that. It's really a mix of all the Queens homies and all the NYU homies. We had this crib down on uh, Bleecker and Seventh. And we used to call it the Carter. We were, like, heavy in our Lil Wayne yeah. drugged-out era. <laughs> we're all, like, at that age, just, like, experimenting with all types of drugs and wilding every night and, and like, you know, having, like, pre-parties and, like, after-parties at this one crib. It was, like, a five-story walk-up with, a at, like, roof roof access. Were you guys millionaires? <laughs> no, nah, this, this, is, this was... Um, Oh, it was three one of the kids. It was one of yeah, yeah, Oh my yeah. god! I was like, no, what we the didn't have five but, but low yeah. key, that's like that's that's our dream. That's been our goal is to go back and buy that building, two eighty seven Bleecker. It's all Italian dude Rocco owns yeah, it. Rocco, if you're it. listening, <laughs> we coming for that crib. Now I just need like, like three, three, four more outside and, and chairs. <laughs> it's 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 an epic epic place. It's really where everything came together. As far as it's the first place I rap because it was like six a.m. We were just drunk as fuck. After my like, we speak in French. Speaking French, yeah. Speaking rapping French, in French, rapping in French. Mm-hmm. Pardon uh, my French. Shouts to French Montana. Ah, yeah. And you know, just one of the homies pulled out a MacBook and was like, "Yo, let's just let's just do a freestyle," you know. So a lot of things grew from there. And then a, a lot of those, a lot of the homies that went to NYU got into like advertising and marketing. Cause that's what they were going to school for. Um, so obviously, uh, as my career was picking up, they were always able to be like, you know, like. We gotta get up your search engine optimization, yeah, all yeah, types yeah. of shit. I don't know about you know. Um, so everyone kind of grew into their role. Like right now, it's 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 pretty incredible. Like we got a little you know, like a little baby agency that's just working my shit. It's a bunch of homies that do this do this professionally. You know, Derek Derek pretty much stepped away from advertising to just be my manager full time. But like Clayton Clayton's one of the homies works for RGA. And he also does like all my digital, and he's you know on emails with Laura all the time. And yeah. my boy Sam works at another advertising agency, AKQA, and he does like all our like fiendshop.com stuff. He'll put together like sales and e blasts for you know what I mean. Yeah. All, all the things that um, would be overwhelming for me to do, and still try to rap. You know, the whole crew kind of took up a piece. My homie Maddie, who's one of the guys from Queens that I met down at Hampton, because naturally I went to Virginia and just gravitated to New York homies. Yeah, um, he's part of my management as well. He's on the road with me. You know, he's on on the road with Dreamville. Um, so it's cool, man. Everybody from then grew into their position. You know, I've known Maddie a decade. I've known Derek like fifteen years. Everyone else, you know, like at least seven years of. Of knowing these homies, um, I feel like I used to be able to tell um, if people were from Queens if they're wearing a fiend shirt, um, <laughs> but now it's like much harder because now like you have a bigger, yeah. right, bigger group, <laughs> right, right, yeah. So you yeah, fucked that grown. up for me, yeah. <laughs> it's grown. Also, uh, you might be the first person to come on here and start shouting out uh, advertising agencies. <laughs> you know, that's it, it's it's that's shout and out it's wide in. Yeah, shout yeah. out, you <laughs> know what I mean? Shout, shout them out, shout them out. They've been holding us down. I actually just went and did a whole Q and A. And performance at AKQA. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that was really cool. That was something very different, but like definitely inspiring. Do advertisement agencies like that audience? Is that do they get down or is it a lot of like standing around? Nah, they were getting down. They were getting down. It was you know they they had kept a keg like right there. What we were drinking. <laughs> Wow. Talking shit, you know. I feel like some I don't them, understand some of them was anything like anymore. A off rhythm. <laughs> okay. But, oh, yeah. But, well, of but, course. You know, right. I mean, there effort, were white people there. Sure. Yeah, the clapping on one and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, effort yeah. was there, and it was a lot of good questions, a lot of good energy, some really cool creatives, you know, dope people to just build with. So it was just cool to get to learn that side a little That's bit. That's awesome. So when you signed to Interscope, right. I mean, were you just like, well, this is pretty incredible? I was like, got me a check, I got a check. Yeah, nah, um, it was dope. I, I signed, I was at South by Southwest, I think, when my lawyer brought me, like, the papers. I think I was at the Dope House. I was, like, performing at the Dope House. Mm-hmm. Perfect for the fiends. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Wordplay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just exciting to know that, you know, there's a lot of things you want to do that I don't want to ask Cole for money, like, that's my boy, you know what I mean? Um and it just opened up our resources, opened up just having a bigger team, you know, people that know what they're doing and can help us grow. And we're very receptive to, like, how we want it to grow. You know what I mean? Like, we were doing fiend shops and, you know, crazy shit like that. Like, Joey the other day told, tells me, like, yo, you should uh, you should make, like, a survival pack for South by Southwest with, like, fiend stickers and all this and that. And I'm like, you know, like, everyone's thinking – uh the same like unorthodox way that we're thinking about marketing ourselves which you know that's refreshing once i got in the building got to know everybody it was it's like all right like we you know we're gonna move who comes in there with the plan or are you sort of working in conjunction well, with i had them? i had last winter ready to go because i'm like i've been on tour with cole for like a solid eight months i need to drop some when i get off tour um it just so happened to be like we did the we ended up doing the deal so uh, Interscope was like, you know, we want to clear the samples and put it out commercially. I was like, all right, dope. <laughs> um, so, you know, we got that out, and that did a, a lot for me. Because sure. that's, you know, um, sp- like you asked me earlier where I felt like like we turned a corner. And I feel that way, like, every time we put something out, I feel like we turned another corner. And last one was the same thing where, it, um, you know, you see the headlines changing a bit. And especially with this album now, but it's cool to, like, see the story people tell about you like gradually change you know what i mean from yeah. like little homie to like somebody standing you know you could tell the language of how right. people are like discussing your shit um what your wikipedia yeah. says yeah, yeah. <laughs> right i mean like i was reading um a bunch of your like interviews um before you came here because i do research <laughs> um thank you man that's yeah. refreshing that's that's like a, a lost art in hip-hop journalism i mean hip-hop journalism it seems like an outdated term isn't it yeah i mean like yeah no I, I agree i think that people will ask these like questions that sort of don't have anything they, they, they show that they don't really get it yet right so you know does, does j cole like mayonnaise well <laughs> Since you brought it up, does it? I have no clue. I don't think so. That's going to be our headline. Yeah. It does, right? Yeah. Like, but, I like, I, I was, you know, like, people would ask you, you know, oh, your your title has quarter water in it. What's your favorite quarter water? And you would just say blue. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, great. Like, I'm yeah. glad that we covered that. <laughs> so, actually, you want to know a follow-up question. Is it still blue? And if so, why? Um, I'm, I'm probably leaning, like, back towards red now. Wow. You know? Everybody needs to update their articles. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> change that up. What, so okay. So when you go to Interscope, though, do you have because you guys are thinking differently, and because it sounds like everything that you're doing is tailored to you? Right. Do you go in there, especially for like last winter? Do you go in there and say, "All right, I want to shoot X amount of videos, and one of them is going to be in Paris, and one of them is going to be, you know, here"? And or is it that you happen to be in Paris? Oh wait, that one was definitely planned to to go to Paris. We had uh, you know, like this like discretionary budget that we could, you know, Be- because because the way that you guys operate seems like it's it's not it's not traditional. It's not right. like you're not doing. You don't have to go the the flow rider route because right. you're not. You right, operate right. in a totally different way, and you succeed. I feel like because you're not. You know, you don't need to spend the money where it doesn't need to be spent. Or right. do you want to be flow rider and you're just doing a terrible job mm. of it? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm all right. Um, I'm I'm good where I'm at. I think our, our goal is always to really put together solid solid albums. You know, you can have a hot song and 
people are going to come to the club and watch you do it for 10 minutes, but they're not going to come to your tour and watch a 75, 90-minute set. They're not going to come to 287 Bleecker Street. You know? <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not going to come to 287 Bleecker. I'm going to do a show off that roof one day, and we're going to shut the street down. That'd be dope. Would be dope. But five stories is kind of like high. Like, yo. <laughs> Y'all be like, yo, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I see you in the feed. I sort of see you, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I sort of see you. I can't make out your face, but... Also, by the way, the commitment of a five-floor walk-up like that's Yo, just, it was rough. We was, moved a friend in at at a six floor walk up down there, and we were just like, "This is great friend." No, we, we, first of all, yeah, we're the best friends. Best friends. <laughs> um, but we're yeah. There's there's only one letter missing from friends that make fiends, and mm. it's the R. Wow, yeah, you guys are fiends as well for that mission. <laughs> um, but what's it called? We uh, we got up there, and he's moving himself. Like he's he's first entering his apartment, first time, and his neighbor comes out and goes, "You never get used to it," <laughs> and it's just like, "Oh, oh no, <laughs> yeah." That's like uh, that like first I'm in a sign in a horror movie where it's like yeah. a neighbor creeping very bad things have happened <laughs> in this house yeah oh yeah. man so, okay so now now you're touring around on your own right um we saw you at last year's made in america was thinking two years ago yeah we've done made in america the past two years yeah. right yeah we um, see you every year yeah yeah, yeah. 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 um we always run into you're each other. yeah you're right. like out there in the crowd saying hi to people right yeah and now and now you have this new project yes sir too high to riot too high to riot like i said before like coming back to turning those corners like just in the conversation surrounding it already you know it's like the fans are saying everything i want them to say which is like man i hear the growth man i you know what i mean i i love where you're going uh you know and it's it's cool like i'm i'm seeing myself like make leaps on their personal list of favorites um which is the goal. You just want to grow more. I still feel like I'm building my catalog. So it's like a very proud addition to the catalog for me. That's dope. If last winter is like me in this crazy celebratory, like new to this holy shit, I'm living rap life world. Um, you know, this is like the two years since then are just a bit more reflective, you know, a bit more about like things lost rather than things gained. And um, those things sober, you know, there's very sobering moments. You could have three incredible nights on the road and be like, yo, I'm the fucking man. And then, you you know, the next day you'll get a, a phone call of, you know, someone either getting locked up or, you know, passing away, whatever the case may be. And it's like, you know, it really sobers you up. It's like, you know, snaps you out of like this fantasy rap life we're living. Um, right. So a lot of album content and mood is, is kind of based around that, that emotion this week. I want to start performing all those records. I've been doing last winter since April 2014. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's... I so, need, so you know the words by yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no. <laughs> I, like, I, I remember doing a show in, like, Dallas, and some kid was like, yo, I've seen you nine times. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, fuck, I've been doing the same set, <laughs> like, same routine, same jokes in between, like, you know what I mean? I, I got to switch this up. Um, We've had this crazy run for the past three episodes... Andrew Barber from Fake Short Drive, Asher Roth, and Mano, who have all talked about Puff's Miami mansion. And now Ebe is going to tell us his experience. Yeah, so it was Memorial Day, I want to say like 2010, 2011, around there. And um, I just remember being like really drunk. And we and my boy was like, he lost all his stuff on the beach, so he had to walk back. But we had already left. And then Cole's like, yo, Puff wants me to come out to the mansion. He's having a big dinner. Actually, T.I. had just gotten out of jail. So it was like a dinner he was having Memorial Day. And we went there. I remember being really drunk and not (laughs) wanting to go to sleep at the table. Because I was like, yo, this is going to be really embarrassing. I'm going to embarrass Cole. And then, like, it was me, Cole, my man RJ, and Keith. And then, you know, it was like a, a real dinner. Full chef and everything. And then, like, Ciroc everywhere. Oh, sure. And then I remember him being like, we're going to mansion to the club. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. We're just going to follow them. <laughs> and we jump in the car. And it's anybody that knows Memorial Day in Miami, that whole strip parking is just lot. parking lot. Ratchet. <laughs> but, not, but not with Puff Daddy. <laughs> and it was just like he had police escort all the way to the club. And we're just all making like a line. And we're just following them. And then we get to the club. And I didn't even get in. Like, at that point, no, you know what happened? We got there, like, a little bit after them. And then they're, like, they're already in the end. And then Cole's, like, hearing somebody. And this is, like, early Cole. So yeah. it wasn't like we could be, like, yo, J. Cole's here. And they're, yeah. like, oh, watch out. It was kind of, like, 
Jake, Jake Cole, yeah, uh, hold on, you got to get somebody to come get you. <laughs> and at this one, I'm just twisting Cole, and then like they came out and grabbed Cole plus like one, uh-huh. and I was, and it's Miami, so everybody's walking around. I'm like, yo, I'm about to go to the room. I don't know, I honestly don't know why I was that drunk though. Like it wasn't like late at night; it was like 8 p.m. drunk. It was weird, but that was that was a crazy story because I just remember Puff driving and cars are moving out the way, and I'm like. And at the time, I'm like, yo, we're following Puff <laughs> to the club. This is really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad I can add to the legendary streak of uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the real it's the real Puff Daddy stories. <laughs> Do you have any good Club Paradise stories? Yeah. Um, I got a lot. We had a, we had a really good time, man. Um, a lot of FIFA. A lot of FIFA on the OVO bus. That was a lot of fun. Cole and Eve took the chip from I think it was Drake and Chubbs. Wow. That was an epic day. Um like I think like forty had printed out a whole bracket. <laughs> like it was intense. It was really intense. Like it was it was a lot on the line. Uh, what money? Nah, just pride. <laughs> just pride. Uh homies ain't wanna lose in FIFA. Um that whole tour was 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 crazy. It was a lot of records broke on that tour. Which was interesting to see, like from this standpoint. Um, I thought they played that really cool. Like they had Walk come out on tour, right mm-hmm. around round of applause. They had Meek out around Amen. They had Two Chains out with No Lie. They had French out. Pop that came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he broke fucking all those records in like was that one summer. Before or after? Huh? Fucking, was fucking problems? problems before or after? Or was it made on that tour? But No Lie was the one that took off from the tour. Mm. Um, yeah, amen, too. Amen, amen. Yeah, and the pop that came towards the end of the tour. Mm. But yeah, he was also the support act. It would have been a little, little bit strange. Right. <laughs> Hell of a run, though. Yeah, crazy run. run. That was a really good time. Yeah. Have you performed down in Hampton? You know what? Not yet. Um, See? Not since I left. Who's your booking agent? Let's get this happening. <laughs> Rob Gibbs. That's my dog. Uh, but um, one of my homies, you know, that's part of my manager that I met down there is mm-hmm. now, like, actively, like, setting that up. And, you know, there's some, like, cool discussions going on. That'd be on. a dope homecoming for the semester you put in. You know? It would yeah. be. I could really inspire all the kids yeah. to be, you know, be like me. Spe- you, should, you should really drop in on that French class. Oh, yeah, I will. I will. I'm going to go flex on him real quick. <laughs> no flex on, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yo, Boz, I really appreciate you coming through. Good time, Congratulations. Man. Yeah, Thank and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Sure. Right on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of A Waste of Time with It's The Real. We just wanted to tell you one more time about our sponsor this week, Audible.com. Yes, if you want to listen to it, Audible has it with more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You will find what you are looking for. Get a free 30-day trial and free audiobook today by signing up at www.audible.com slash waste, W-A-S-T-E. And uh, tell them that we sent you. Jeff, if they want to find more of these episodes, where can they go? I thought that you could find it on SoundClub, but you cannot. You can find it on SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. You can also find it on iTunes, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Look for us anywhere. We are It's The Real, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L. Very easy to find us. Just do us a huge favor. Go on iTunes, subscribe, comment, you know, review us. It's not a favor to us. It's a favor to you. Me? No, like the listener. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do yourself a favor. Do also, yourself a favor. do yourself a favor and tell a friend. Jeff, what friend do you want to tell? Oh, shit. Um, you know, we do this every week. Yeah. And I'm never ready for it. You want me to go first? Go for it. I want to tell Jordan Woloski's dog, Hubert, who has three buttholes. Listen to our podcast. <laughs> who do you want to tell now? I want to tell Mara Frankel. Mara... Who uh, who introduced us to Jordan's dog with three buttholes? Mara, listen to our podcast, goddammit. Mara asked me how business was going. And I missed her. I told her that it was fine. Oh, okay. You want this kind of shit? What, this? The podcast. Yeah, alright. Alright, deal. Bye.